Amen. Hey, grab a seat, and while you do, grab a Bible. Uh, turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10 this morning. And if you need a Bible under a seat, somewhere under one of those chairs by you, you'll find a black Bible under there. Uh, turn to the table of contents in that and find the book of Romans. We're in chapter 10 this morning. Um, and uh, while you turn there, let me just uh, make a statement that I think we'll all agree with, um, but there's a, there's a great irony and there's a great disconnect. There's a great irony and there's a great disconnect that Christians possess the greatest message the world could ever hear and at the same time are most fearful to say that very message. Think about that statement. There's a great irony as Jesus followers that we possess the greatest message the world could ever hear and at the same time fear speaking that message the most. I feel the tension of it. I feel the tension of knowing that um, for someone to be saved, for someone uh, to experience the joy of the presence of God in heaven one day, they must bow their knee to Jesus Christ as Lord. And at the same time, I feel the tension of sharing the gospel with someone as something that elicits a lot of fear and a lot of, uh, a lot of just hesitation in my own heart. And we just feel this dichotomy as Christians. That we possess a message that the whole world, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, everyone who walks through the door at Starbucks, everyone who lives on our road, every person in our family, every friend we've ever known, they must call on the name of Jesus to be saved. And why am I so scared to tell them that? Why am I so fearful of that? Why do I shrink back so easily? Christians possess the greatest message the world could ever hear. It's the message every soul is longing to know. It's what every heart is searching for. And it's oftentimes the most feared thing we have to speak about. We're starting 2018 with a look at the four pillars that undergird the foundation of our church. And this is the fourth week, and we turn to the fourth of these pillars, but I just want to, before we get to the fourth pillar, let's all talk about all four. Um, these four pillars, unapologetic preaching, unashamed worship, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Uh, these things uh, must be true of Harvest Bible Chapel in 2018, in 2028, in 2038, in 2048, and on and on and on and on. A lot of things will change in this church over the years and decades. Things will look different, but these pillars can't ever change. The foundation in which this church was started on, uh, this mission God has given us to make disciples to the glory of God, to glorify him through the fulfillment of his great commission, this process we have in order to do this, to see worshipers of Jesus created and to see people walking with Jesus, to see people working for Jesus as disciple makers in the game of building the kingdom, and then these pillars that all the work is built off of, these can't change. The bedrock cannot shake. We can't deviate from these. And I'm so encouraged. I'm so pumped 
for the last three weeks how our church has leaned into the study of these pillars. And it said, not only do I want to be a four-pillar church, I want to be a four-pillar person. I want these things to be true in my own life. And the spirit of prayer in this place last week as Pastor Joe preached to us on ceasing prayer. And the spirit of worship in this place this morning as Pastor DJ taught two weeks ago. This idea of unashamed worship. And now today we turn our attention to that fourth pillar, unafraid witness. And that you word in front of that witness word is a very intentional word. Unafraid Because what is it that prevents us from telling people the message of the gospel? It is oftentimes this fear, fear of what they'll think, fear of losing a relationship, fear of making making the situation awkward, and just this, this fear we have of telling people in our culture, in our day, amongst our family, amongst our friends, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, of their need to know Jesus Christ. Fear um, can grip us and it can hinder us and it can prevent us. We're after today what it would it look like to see a church unleashed of unafraid witness. And guess what? Next week we start a study in the book of Acts where we get to see what a church of unafraid witness looks like. And I say, How about that here in 2018, Lord? What would that look like in our community? Because the sad facts, you and I both know it, a very small minority of Christians are active in this game of sharing their faith with other people. A very small minority of Jesus' followers are in the game of actively seeing their life as a mission field in which the Lord has placed them and telling people of their great need for Jesus Christ. Today, the minority becomes the majority. Today, today we just ask ourselves, what, what am I stinking afraid of? What am I scared of? Well, I, well I'm, I might offend them. You want to know what will be more offensive? the day they stand before the judge, that'll be way more offensive to them. That they live next to us for 40 years and we never told them. How offended will they be on that day? That they worked in the cubicle right next to us, that they went to school with us for all those years and we never told them. I would be, I would be offended To stand before the judge one day and have lived my life amongst and around all these Christians who never told me that's offensive. Simmer down, Brock. (laughs) Been out of the pulpit for two weeks. But church, listen to me. I don't want today to just be another message about, yeah, I should tell more people about Jesus. We all know that. And if I just get up here and give the locker room pep talk and pound the pulpit a couple times, we'll leave and we'll change for a couple days. We'll, we'll make it, a, ta- we'll make it a, a taskless thing. Okay, tell someone about Jesus this week. Check. I don't want to do that. I don't want to give the locker room pep talk today. I don't want to pound the pulpit. I want to beg that the Spirit of God makes this just a part of who we are. That we see Jesus for who he is. Because until we see Jesus for who he is, we'll never want to tell everyone about him. And we see lost people for who they are. 
And until we're burdened and broken and just like we're up at night thinking about the people we know who don't know Jesus, we'll never tell people about him. I want the conviction that comes today not from a preacher pounding a pulpit, but from the Spirit of God gripping our heart to unleash a church and this awesome thing of the mission God has given us of telling people of the hope of Jesus Christ. So if you would pray with me and let's let God's word convict us today from Romans. Father, if this is not a message rooted in the conviction of your spirit through your word, Lord, and this is just turns into a passionate pep talk plea, Lord. Nothing of lasting change will happen. God, your spirit today has to give us such this awesome view of who your son is and what he's done for us and how good, news, how good this good news really is. And your spirit today has to open our distracted eyes to see what people separated from Jesus, what their lot is, what their inheritance is. And God, you have to burden and so grip our hearts that it, mo- that it changes the way we live because we're going to walk out of here today, Lord, and the distractions of the world are just going to bombard us. And we'll just go on with life and we'll just keep doing what we normally do and we'll just, we'll make telling Jesus to other people just a checklist thing, Lord. But it would just become a consuming passion of our heart and it has to start from the inside out, God. Your word has to grip our heart today. Your spirit's got to move in us. God, we beg you for that. We don't gather in a room to sing songs and get a motivational talk. We gather as your bride to hear from you. We want to meet with you. We want you to speak. We want to worship your son. God, please, we beg you to meet with us today. We beg you to speak to us from your word. God, we beg you that you would change us in this area. We pray these things now in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Romans chapter 10. We're picking it up here today in verse 13. But before I just jump into the middle of the chapter of the book of Romans, um, we got to know what, what Paul's been writing about here. He's, he's, been, he's been writing up to this point, and he, he's, there's this passionate plea that he's writing that salvation is of grace alone. Praise God for that. Praise God for that in the midst of us, a room full of failures, who if salvation was not by grace alone, and, and if salvation was about law-keeping and rule-following, man, we were, we're hopeless. We got nothing to hang our hat on. And he's... <clears throat> 
coming up to this point in Romans 10, he's, he's, there's this passionate plea from Paul that the Jews, they're still trying to obtain the salvation by rule following, by law keeping, and it's, it's impossible. They're, they're on a race trying to catch a finish line that they'll never get to because salvation is by solely all of grace as we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And he gets kind of to this climax um, um, verse here that you probably, if you've grown up in church, have heard so many times, but Romans 10, 13 says this, for, and help me read this second word, for what, for who? For everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and all God's people say amen to that. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And let's just break that down now. Let's just not run too quickly by that verse because we've heard of it. And let me say it another way for your notes in front of you that all who call on Jesus are saved by Jesus. All who call on Jesus. The gospel message is a message for everyone. The gospel message is a message for everyone. It's a message for everyone on every, every continent. It's a message for everyone in every country. It's a message for everyone of every language. It's a message for everyone who lives on our street and everyone in our workplace and everyone who walks the halls of our school. The gospel message is a message for everyone. There is no other way under heaven by which we are saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. All religions are not some version of the same thing. There are not multiple paths to heaven. And this is not Christians being narrow-minded. It is just what God has told us. There is no other name under heaven by which we are saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone must call on that name. Now let's talk about what it means to call on the name of Jesus. What is this biblical idea of calling on Jesus for salvation? We got to get this, church people. We got to get this, people like you who grew up like me, who just grew up in the church and heard the gospel message every time. I remember, um, I'm not going to go there. Um, We got to get this. What does it mean to call on Jesus? To call on Jesus is a cry to be rescued. To call on Jesus is a cry to be rescued. It's an understanding. I have wronged, I have sinned against the perfect creator, only holy God. And it's an understanding that not only have I been, not only have I been wrong, not only have I done wrong, in my natural fleshly self, I flat out am wrong. There is nothing good in here. I got some good news for you today. You're awful people. And I am too. And I got some better news. A perfect Savior came for awful people. And it's when we get that. Now, not only have I done wrong, yeah, I've done some bad things, but man, I'm overall a pretty good person. No, you're not. No, you're not. At the very nature and flesh of who you are, you are wrong. 
And when we get that, we cry, we call, we, we're like the little kid at, stuck at the bottom of the well who, who's looking at the wall going, there's no way I can climb out of this on my own. I need a rescuer. I need a redeemer. I need someone who will come down in the pit with me and get me out. And that's what Jesus has done. He came on down in the pit. And he lifted us out of it. And he bore our sin for us and he became sin so that we could be saved. And it's when we call, it's this rescue call. Now, now why do I want to spend time on this call thing? Why do I want us to understand that, that this call is a rescue call? Because sometimes I think if we grow up in, in a lot of church talk and stuff, that we can quickly deviate from understanding that the calling on Jesus to be saved is a rescue call. It's a 911 call. It's not, a, it's not an AFLAC call. It's not a call for insurance. What do I mean by that? Well, yeah, you know, I think I'm kind of on board with this Jesus thing. And, um, you, know, you know, my pastor says that if I pray this prayer, and, um, you know, I'm pretty, pretty confident that the Bible's right. But why don't I just pray this prayer and then I'll have kind of my insurance policy against hell. And, um, and, and yeah, I want that. Could I have the insurance policy against hell? So just pray this prayer and I'll say these things and um, got, got my insurance policy and now I'm just going to go keep living like I've always been living. That's not calling on Jesus to be saved. Flat out. The biblical understanding of calling on Jesus to be saved is the rescue cry. It's the rescue cry. I've wronged you, and I am wrong, and I'm hopeless, and I need a Savior. And everything from that point drastically changes. Not perfect overnight, but there's now a yearning and a hungering to follow after the one who climbed down in the well and lifted you up. You want to be more like him. You want to honor him. You want to live your life from that point as an overflow of thankfulness for the fact that he's rescued you. This is the understanding of the biblical call. And there's too many people in our culture today who are praying a prayer or walking this way. Uh, let me pray my prayer to get my insurance policy from hell and continue to walk this way. That's not following Jesus. There is in us every story of following Jesus. I was this. I was dead and I was lost and I was blind. But God stepped in. And Jesus redeemed me. And guess what? I ain't who I used to be. And everyone who makes that rescue call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the reality of, eternity, of an eternity separated from God in hell. Every eye on me right now. I love you enough to tell you hell is real. Don't say that. It makes me feel bad. Don't say that. It's not politically correct. Don't say that. It sounds unloving. No, it's not unloving. It's the most loving thing you can say. There is eternity there's an eternity in the perfect presence of God with him, heaven, and there's an eternity separated from him in hell. And the minute we stop saying that word from our pulpit, the minute our church just deviates down a path we can't walk. There is a reality of hell. 
what Jesus does. When we call on him, when we cry out, the rescue cry, the call on him, he, he redeems us, he rescues us from the, the, the reality of eternity separated from him in hell, and he, he brings us into the fold as a child and as a family member to be with him in the perfect presence of heaven. It's an awesome thing, folks. And not only that, it's not only a, a saving um, from, but it's a saving too. So often when we talk about being saved, we're just like, yeah, he saved me from hell. But what has he saved us to? He has saved us to the abundant life in Christ. He has saved us to this abiding, walking with Jesus in this world. This, this, this knowing him. This having fellowship with him. He saved us to the fulfillment of our soul being met in Jesus Christ that we had been trying to meet it with all this other people's stuff and junk throughout our life. It's a sweet thing that Jesus has done for us. And it applies to everyone who calls on his name to be saved. And I just want to stop right here and before I talk to us about what does it look like to be the bold witness to others so that they call on Jesus? I just want to stop. And then with as many, many people who will sit here in two services today, I just got to ask, have you made that call on Jesus? I'm not talking about the insurance policy version. I'm not talking about the version where you were walking this way, you prayed a prayer at some point, and you just kept walking that way. I'm talking about today. Have you decided to follow Jesus flat out called on him to redeem you called on him to rescue you radically left your old life began to follow him as savior lord and master have you made that call today and if not today's the day I'll meet you right up here after the service but then Paul says something He's going to now build a very simple but logical progression of going, how, how do people come to understand they need faith in Jesus? The simple but logical progression from verse 14 to verse 17 is so important for the Spirit of God to grip our hearts with today. And this is what we want to look at one piece at a time. Verse 14. How then... Can they, who's they, how then can an unbeliever, how, can, how then can someone who doesn't know Jesus, how then will they call on him in whom they have not what? So just go, go to your outline there, go to your notes, let's build this um, logical flow together that all who call on Jesus are saved by Jesus, and we need to understand something. They can't call on Jesus until they believe in Jesus. Believe Sparking in our heart is what, is what leads our mouth to call on him. It's belief that, 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 that grows in our heart. It's belief that God burrs in our heart that leads to us seeing our need to call on Jesus to be saved. Now, what is biblical belief? Because that's a really important concept too. When, when scripture talks about believing in Jesus, is it merely an, uh, an intellectual ascent that, that, that Jesus is something? What I mean by that is, is the, the, the word tells us, um, us like, so, so you believe, you know, Jesus, like even the demons believe that and shudder, right? Belief in Jesus is way more than an intellectual ascent. It is literally putting the entire weight of our life on who he is. All of the hope on our, of our salvation on who he is. 
I don't have one ounce of weight on any other hope of being saved by any other way, and I don't have any ounce of, 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 of my joy satisfaction or anything else other than in Jesus Christ alone. He is my everything, and I'm following him. That is this understanding of like the biblical precedent of belief. It changes everything. He's the greatest longing of our heart. He's the greatest love we know. How can people call on him if they have not believed in him? Keep going here. And how are they to believe in him um, of whom they have never heard? So all who call on Jesus are saved by Jesus. They can't call on Jesus until they believe in Jesus. They can't believe in Jesus until they hear of Jesus. Now, here is where our great temptation as a um, Christianized Western culture begins. This is where we begin to make excuses for ourselves. This is where we begin to say things like, well, everyone around me has heard of Jesus. Everyone say wrong. People around us may have heard the name Jesus. They may have attended some churches growing up. But we need to understand something that's so fundamentally important. Who they think Jesus is is often a radical separation from who the Bible and who the historical Jesus really is. So I was a religion major in my undergrad at a non-Christian college. Um, I had a class in my undergrad called the historical Jesus. The historical Jesus, if a non-Christian was sitting in that class... The version of Jesus they were taught is radically different than the biblical historical of who Jesus really was. And everyone, I almost did this in Starbucks, but I thought I'd look a little crazy. Just going table to table this week, like, who do you say Jesus is? And who do you think Jesus is? And who do you think Jesus is? And I just wanted to record all of the different answers I would have gotten. Well, he was like a really great teacher. And he influenced history with some awesome, he's just a really good person. And we would have gotten the full gamut of answers to that. I was in the checkout line at Walmart the other day, and I looked down, there's a cover of a magazine, The Life of Jesus, Time Life. And I just wanted to pick that up and read, who would Time Life say that Jesus is? People around us may have heard the name Jesus, but have they correctly filled in the dots of who God's word says that Jesus is, and oftentimes the answer is no. And so when we come to this and it says, uh, how how can they believe in him of whom they have never heard, understand something? We cannot make the assumption that everyone around us has heard who the Bible teaches that Jesus is. Because everyone fills in the blanks with their own version of who they believe Jesus is. And it keeps going here. How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? Middle of 14. And how are they to hear without someone what? How are they to hear without someone preaching? They can't hear of Jesus until I preach Jesus to them. Now, This is where many times people go, there's my out. I ain't a preacher. Don't ever want to be. There's my out. 
This is a passage for preachers. This is a passage for vocational missionaries. There it is. Like, okay, that makes sense. How can they hear? Of pe- how can people hear of Jesus? Believe in Jesus if no if no preachers are preaching Jesus. Here's the deal. God has put a call on some people's life to uh, do what's happening right now, to preach the word, to preach the gospel. God has put a call on some people's life, including sitting in this room right here, to be missionaries, to go, to vocationally give their lives to this calling. But remember something that Jesus said when he walked up to his first disciples. He walks up to a fishing boat and he says, "Uh, um, hey, come follow me. The call to follow Jesus is a call to come near and it's a call to come follow. And then uh, after he said, come follow me, what did he tell those fishermen? What did he say? And I will make you. And I will make you fishers of men. The, the call to follow Jesus is a simultaneous, don't miss, don't miss this now. The call to follow Jesus is a simultaneous call to draw near and follow and at the same time be sent out and go. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Okay, but that was for the disciples. That's not for me. Um, as the book of Matthew ends, Matthew says some pretty awesome stuff that that's the that's at the foundation of everything the mission of this church is about. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Guess what? That's an all skate. Come on, roller rink days, anyone else? That's an all skate. That's not a specific scripture for preachers, for missionaries. That's an all skate. Guess what? We're all proclaimers of the gospel. Remember what that word means preaching, to preach, keruso, to herald, to proclaim. All of us who know the message, who've experienced the message, who know Jesus, We got the message of Jesus on our lips to proclaim to others. How can they hear if we aren't telling them? How will my neighbor hear if I don't tell him? How will my coworker hear if I don't tell them? Someone else, I'm sure someone else at some point is it. How will my friends I go to school with here if I don't tell them? How will that family member I love so dearly here if I don't tell them? Well, I, I pray for them and I'll invite them to church. Do those things too. But tell them. God's evangelism strategy isn't just for you to invite people to church. It's for you to actually get the joy of sitting at your dinner table and watching them bow their knee and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Listen, there's no greater joy in life than watching that. And our prayer is that every single soul who calls Harvest home gets to experience that on a regular basis and then get them to this church and then walk beside them and then disciple them along but all of us are called to proclaim the gospel. 
How are they to hear without someone preaching? Then verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are what? And we've just built the case. All of us are sent. All who call on Jesus are saved by Jesus. They can't just see the logical progression here. They can't call on Jesus till they believe in Jesus. They can't believe in Jesus till they hear of Jesus. They can't hear of Jesus till I preach Jesus to them. And I can't preach Jesus unless I am sent by Jesus. And guess what? We're sent. We are Matthew 28 sent. We are great commission sent. This, this, this isn't, this isn't a, maybe this applies for me. This is a, this is, it does apply for me. Guess what? We're having the commissioning service in this place right now for everyone who knows Jesus Christ. You are commissioned. You're commissioned. And guess what? He said he'll go with you. You're empowered. I don't know what to do. I can't do it. Yes, you can. Jesus is going with you. And, and uh, he says, surely I am with you always. And then as he started the Great Commission, he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. That's sweet. The one going with me is the one who has all authority over everything that I'm going to come into contact with. We have, we've been called by Jesus to go with the gospel. We've been commissioned by him. We've been empowered by him. What in the world are we doing, folks? And I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. Because I feel the tension this very week sitting in coffee shops around people who uh, no doubt many don't know Jesus Christ going, I don't know how to start a conversation about Jesus with these folks. goes on. This is beautiful. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, a reference from Isaiah. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith, get this now, get this now, get this now. So faith comes from what? Faith, folks, comes from hearing. None of this, well, I, I live the gospel. Yes, do that. But the gospel is a message. It must be proclaimed. Faith comes from hearing. We are to tell the gospel and show the gospel. We're to declare the gospel and demonstrate the gospel. But don't make excuses for yourself to not actually declare it. If I just go to my neighbor and I just mow my neighbor's yard over and over again and go, he'll get it one day. And I just show up the day and I mow my neighbor's yard. I'm manifestation of the love of Jesus to him. He'll get it one day. No, he won't. He'll just be like, thanks for mowing my yard. Brock's a great dude. Demonstrate and declare. Show and tell. Because faith comes from hearing. And get this now. And hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. This gospel message. This message from the word. You're like, okay, how, how do I do this? Because I spent 35 minutes building the case that I need to tell more people about Jesus. Guess what? I already knew that. What, what do we do from here? A couple things. Write them down if you take notes. Number one, 
Tell your story. Tell your story. If you need the icebreaker, tell your story. What has Jesus done in your life? I don't know how to tell my story. Real simple, three pieces. I was, and then fill in the blanks. I was, I was this person. But God. Then Jesus stepped in. Then my brother told me about Jesus. Then I was at church one Sunday and I heard this thing called the gospel. And then, that, and then, and then Jesus came in. There, there's an intersection point in your story where Jesus stepped in. And now, I was but God and now. What has Jesus, and this part of our story is just all the celebration of what Jesus has done. This is just Jesus. Jesus manifests in my life, and there's a hope I've never experienced. There's a joy I could not have known. It's just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I was but God, and now. Uh, you need an icebreaker. Use your story. Uh, number two, uh, let the word be your guide. If you need help sharing the gospel, here it is right here. This is what I always go to. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Let the word be your guide. I call Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 the gospel in a paragraph. Literally starts, for you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you once walked. Okay, talk to them about that. Hey, I got some really good news for you. Can, can I start it? Really good news has to come after we understand the really bad news. You, you uh, were dead, and guess what I was too? Apart from Jesus Christ, you're spiritually dead. I uh, thought you had some good news for me. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Promise. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Just walk through the pieces of it. You were dead in the transgressions and sins in which you once walked. When you followed the ways of this world, when you, can, can we just agree, like, at one time, you, would you say you've ever done something that has, is sin, that God would say is wrong? Yeah, you know, every, pretty much everyone you come into contact with is going to, like, I mean, what do I say to that? Yeah. Let the word be your guide. Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Thirdly, define, define the right win, W-I-N. Define the right win. What often prevents us from sharing the gospel is we have the wrong idea of what the win is. We don't save anyone. I need some amens to that so we all get that. You're a bad Jesus, okay? And so am I. We don't save anyone. We don't do any sort of heart transformation. We cannot, um, we cannot share the gospel so eloquently that, that, that we're going to convince them to follow Jesus. The work in the heart is all of God. It is all of God. And, and, and God in his great wisdom and plan has said, I am enlisting my people, the army, to just go share the message. I'll take it from there. Like, I don't know why he did that. If I was God the Father, you know what I would have done? I would have kept Jesus around for all of history, and I would have thrown some Billy Graham crusades in every major stadium and every, guess what, that wasn't God's plan. 
because he loves us as his kids and he's given us an awesome opportunity and responsibility that we get to be in the game on the mission with him to see disciples made across the globe. We get to do that. Just to find the right win. Hey, I shared the gospel with my neighbor. How'd it go? Uh, he pretty much hates me. It's really awkward. Kind of dreading the next conversation that actually has to happen. He thinks I'm a narrow-minded. That's not on us. Now certainly share it with love. Certainly under, let the people you're talking to know that you're communicating this with love, that you love them that you're not just trying to drive an agenda, that you love their soul. But to find the right win. And folks, I just got to ask our church, will we be the church that goes with beautiful feet? What will we do with today's message? People will ask me this week, uh, how was the sermon Sunday? I don't know. I'll tell you next Sunday. What do you mean? It means it, it all depends on what we do with this now. God's not interested in hearers of the word. I, if you've been around church for a while, you know I've not told you anything new. What I'm appealing and what I'm calling our church to be is a church full of unafraid witnesses. To go with beautiful feet. To believe we have the greatest news that every soul longs for and it's our responsibility to make sure they hear it. And church, I just got to ask a question. These four pillars. These four pillars. Unashamed worship. Unapologetic preaching. Unceasing prayer. Unafraid witness. What would happen if we actually lived these out? Church, when you study the history of revival, when you study the great awakenings the Lord has worked in certain areas, in certain points of history, you know what you find? These are the recipe of revival. When we come back to the word of God and just say what God says and don't apologize for it, and when we come back to worship, and we realize everything that we do is somehow driven by this thing of worship. And I'm worshiping wrong things. And when we come back to the, 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 the worship of the Son, and when we come back to prayer as the greatest work, where we're on our knees and we're, we're always, always praying and asking God and begging God, and when we are a people unafraid to tell others of Jesus, that's a recipe for revival. And it starts right here. It starts right here in our own heart. We love to pray, Lord, use our church for a revival. Let revival sweep across the city. Amen and amen and amen. But let a revival sweep across my heart. Church, just stand with me right now, if you would. With the commitment today to be on the back end of this four-pillar series, would we be four-pillar people? We understand that we are people that 
we just say it quietly to ourselves, I am sent, not other people. This isn't something just for us. I am sent by Jesus to be an unafraid witness for Jesus. It's my job to tell people about Jesus. And yep, I'm not going to be eloquent at it. And yep, I'm going to stumble. And yep, I'm going to walk away like, wow, that was a train wreck. Quick story and then I'm going to be done. I was, uh, after my first year of college, I was home and um, was driving, I remember this, it was between 11 and midnight because nothing good happens after midnight, so I was heading home. And uh, like a weight of bricks on my chest, the Spirit of God impressed on me to go share the gospel with a friend of mine who'd been a friend for probably 12, 15 years at that point. So the next day I walk into his living room and he's getting ready to take off to college. And I stumbled and I bumbled and I shared the gospel with him. And it was, it was awkward. And at the end of it, I was like, all right, bro, like have a great freshman year. And like, I remember getting in my car, a beautiful 1992 Navy blue Oldsmobile 88. And I just remember driving home like, I just threw away the friendship. It was a year later that I ran into this guy at an Athletes in Action conference. And he, uh, right when we got there, he was with his team, I was with mine. He's like, hey, before the end of this, I gotta talk to you, gotta talk to you. And he pulls me in a corner he said, do you remember that day you like really awkwardly came into my living room and told me about Jesus? I said, I've never forgotten it. He said, I thought that day you were throwing our friendship away. You'd finally done it. You'd finally crossed the line where like we had to have the Jesus thing as part of the friendship. He said, I want you to know in the misery of what was my freshman year, I thought about that every single day. And he's like, Brock, look at me. I know if I died today, I'd be with Jesus. There's too much at stake, folks. And we're so busy and distracted with all these good things of life, but would we slow down this week and would we start to see people for the soul that they are Tell them about Jesus. So God, right now, I pray for action. How foolish would it be to watch a football game where the team huddles and never breaks it to actually run the play? How foolish would it be for the army to gather for the debriefing and then never leave and actually fight the war? And yet, Lord, I, I confess and we repent as a church that we've huddled too many Sundays. We've huddled too many Sundays. And then we haven't broken the huddle to actually go do something about it. 
Lord, don't let this be where we talk about being unafraid witnesses on Sunday and then we gather in our small groups and talk about how we apply it. Let's go live it. Motivated by the love that we have for Jesus and the love that we have for other people to know this Jesus. Let us go live it. And then as this Jesus is lifted high, Lord, and you draw all people unto yourself, Lord, we're going to see revival that sparks in our heart and sweeps across our family and sweeps across our neighborhood and sweeps across our city and sweeps across our globe, all for the glory of you. That's what we're after and that's what we want. Lift your name high, Lord, and draw people to yourself through the bold and unapologetic and unafraid witness of your people. And we say it all in the name of Jesus.